This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt's Splained. Now, um, we are big fans of chatbots here on Matt's Splained, and AI has been training Matt for years in an attempt to make him less human. Not that he was very human to begin with. Um, one of the topics we often come back to is natural language processing and your belief that it will help to liberate us from our screens. Hey, Matt. Hey, Richard. Uh, you know, it's not a good sign when you're laughing at your own jokes. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it, it's one of the more overlooked components of uh, all of these things that, you know, we're starting to call Web3. Um, yeah. Now, of course, officially, Web3 is more about blockchain-based uh, block technology, not blockbain. Um, it's the attempt to, to build a decentralized internet. So it's using things like cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. decentralized finance, DeFi, and DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Uh, we will have some shows coming up on the different components of Web3 in case you're not awfully familiar with those terms. And I have put a link to a handy uh, Forbes.com uh, primer in the show notes for today. So more recently, we've seen uh, some people widen that Web3 definition to include other elements like the metaverse, virtual yep. reality, and some of the more uh, environmental and experiential elements of that future internet. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not so much concerned about definitions at terminology at this point. I'll let other people fight about what is or isn't part of things that haven't even been designed or built yet. So whether eventually we call it Web3 or whether it's a collection of different names, screenless technology is going to be one of the most important parts of that next future iteration. But it's one of the least talked about parts, at least at this point in time. Um, so why, why do you think it's uh, overlooked? Are people just not interested? Well, people have a hard enough time, I think, understanding things like blockchain, crypto, the metaverse. And those are all things that you can, to a certain degree, see. Yeah. Screenless technology is essentially invisible. I mean, that's its nature. If people think about it at all, it's mostly in terms of things like smart speakers, something like, you know, an Amazon Echo. And uh, I think we had that story a few weeks ago about the PC within a pair of glasses, the uh, mm. Nemo Planet, the Indian startup, uh, something that can deliver multiple monitor screens in the lens of the glasses. So in a sense, that's screenless. But more typically, when we say screenless, we mean something that's voice activated. Like a digital assistant. Yeah, like, you know, Siri on steroids or Alexa with attitude. Uh, I, I'm not ignoring Google Assistant. It just doesn't lend itself to cheap wordplay like Siri on steroids. So what we're potentially talking about is voice as a gateway to all things Web3 and all of these metaverse-related services. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you've ditched the smartphone and you've got a Web3 Pebble processor in your pocket that connects you to the web. That 
then pairs with the earbuds in your ears and the smart glasses that you're wearing. I'm not going to talk about bone conduction speakers and microphones built into the glasses because, you know, this is already complicated enough. Uh, Let's say you want to buy a movie ticket. So you tell Siri or Alexa or Google to search for the next showing. You can select that showing and you pay for your ticket with a stable coin straight from your crypto wallet. Or if there are uh, too many options or you want additional services, you can shift from voice to simulated monitor screens within the glasses you're wearing with your eyes controlling the cursor. No brain computer interfaces? Well, not at this point. You know, um, I want to be at the uh, inform rather than terrify stage of the show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, this could uh, possibly all be done with neural links at some point in the future. Um, so let's go back. I mean, you're you're on screen. And uh, did I mention that it's a, a virtual movie that you've bought tickets for at the designated showtime? Um, would there be a specific showtime if it's virtual? Well, the timing isn't for the movie, um, because you're Uh, correct. It's actually the time that you and your friends have all agreed to sit in a virtual row and watch the film together. So you sit down and your glasses darken, shutting out your surroundings, and you're plunged into a virtual movie theater. And of course, you know, you're in a row sitting next to your friends. And will there be that person with a persistent cough? And the world's hugest bag of amplified popcorn in your virtual cinema. Oh, we've all, my God, we've all been to those. Yeah, I know. I don't know how people manage to get the popcorn louder when they get into a cinema, but it's it's just a skill some people have. Um, But I think that's where, you know, upselling comes in. Unless you upgrade your ticket, the rest of the audience uh, consists of off-duty chatbots discussing the cosmetic work that uh, uh, the movie leads have had done. Uh, If you upgrade, then of course your experience will be uh, silent, just like the, you know, the uh, upgraded cinema experiences in the real world. So what I'm trying to paint a picture of is this seamless experience that provides you with the level of immersion you need at a given moment. Uh, You might want to take a a virtual tour through a a gallery of your NFT collection, for example, or you might go from a casual chat with a remote colleague to a a full-on presentation to the board of your company. It's this constant zooming in and out of these future web environments, but always using the same set of wearable tools that are equally dependent on cloud processing and high-speed data streaming. And why is that less interesting than the rest of the Web3 technologies? Well, for starters, it's taken me about eight minutes to explain what is essentially nothing. (laughs) Uh, If screenless technology is excellent, you know, that's what it should appear to be. It should appear to not be there. Uh, People get more excited hearing about other parts of you know, Web3, because those are the parts you can make money with. Uh, The metaverse is exciting because, you know, it could be pretty much anything that you want it to be. It's only Mm. as limited as our ability to create, you know, new specialty coffee drinks. As for uh, virtual reality, I genuinely don't know why that's exciting. I can only suggest that people reach out to uh, my former co-host here, Jeff Sandu, on uh, Twitter and ask him because we always disagreed over virtual reality. You never know. He might even reply to you from his BlackBerry. Um, (laughs) Even though though, cheap joke, I know. That's a low blow. (laughs) I know. Even though the screenless stuff may not seem important at first glance, um, 
because a glance at nothing is nothing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It will be so commonplace in our future daily lives that we can't afford to get this implementation wrong. Uh, simply because it's voice-based. Well, I mean, it's a step beyond voice. You know, we're talking about natural language. So you make right. natural language commands and the machine replies to you in natural language. Uh -huh. uh, or there's an AI in the background that's making a decision that uh, you should shift to some form of screen to uh, have the information displayed to you. Admittedly, most of the screenless stuff we use now is quite simplistic. You know, it's asking an echo or assistant what the weather is going to be like or what the best cafes for remote working are in the neighborhood that we're about to visit. I, I guess the uh, that one of the things people would be concerned about is whether, you know, the, the results that you get are, are accurate. Well, precisely. And that kind of brings us back to the reason for today's show. When you ask mm. for a weather report, that's pretty straightforward. The device yeah. knows your location. It brings the latest information from the app or the service that it's tapping that data from. Mm -hmm. If you were looking for a restaurant or a cafe recommendation, then you might have to start wondering who or what is recommending that to you and what their reasons for recommending it are. Right. And, and that concern that someone might have bought a search result and, and is paying for the information that you're being fed. Yeah, you know, um, that would certainly be a concern for me. You know, where is that recommendation coming from? Is it aggregated? Is it crowdsourced? Yeah. When you use a screen, you know, you usually get those top recommendations in your search engine and you can see which ones are marked as ads. Yeah. But you also have that ability with the screen to dive deeper. You can go into different services. You can customize the layers of recommendation and dive into uh, actual comments from, you know, people who've been there. With voice tech, at least the way a lot of voice tech is currently structured, you get a very limited pool of answers. Knowing that most people go to the local Starbucks to work from doesn't really help you to find out what alternatives are in the neighborhood. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then there are sort of sort of more important issues. I mean, we reported on that story that came out in December about an Amazon speaker that answered a young girl's query about a, a challenge she could do yeah. with an internet meme that could have led to her receiving a potentially fatal electric shock. What about the um, implications for, for news or, um, you know, more time-sensitive events? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we have this issue of disinformation wherever we go for, for information. That example I mentioned about the little girl is really just one of many. Um, yeah. You know, if you ask your assistant or speaker to tell you about the war in Ukraine, you need to be sure about the context because you probably want that voice to deliver you a short summary, preferably mm. condensed into a few pithy seconds. So mm. that information needs to be accurate. You know, ideally you'd want it to be unbiased, but there are very few unbiased sources on the internet. So accuracy would be the very least that you would be looking for. Yep. In the same way, if you ask your device, who is Mark Zuckerberg, you might not want the result to say that Zuckerberg is part of a cabal of space lizards controlling the world and living on human blood. And I should point out that he isn't. There isn't any evidence that suggests he is. This is just one of those conspiracies that goes around the internet. Um, mm -hmm. He is just a tech nerd who got really successful. But we're living in a time where the truth seems to be tenuous. It seems to be intangible. So we have to be sure that we're not inventing 
new technologies that divorce us even further from the realities of our world. And what about the potential to distort business news and information? Sure. I mean, you could even imagine it uh, fueling market volatility in some scenarios. You know, imagine a situation where you receive a voice alert telling you that there's a run on the cryptocurrency that you're holding. You're being told it's devalued by multiple percentage points. It's already gone down multiple points that day. Are you going to stop to check or are you going to go into panic mode and issue another voice command to offload your reserve of that currency into something else? Mm. Now, your notification might even tell you a specific alternative asset that's looking like a safe haven or a rising star. And if you act solely on what you've just heard, once that trade's done, it's probably too late. Yep. You may have been scammed into supporting somebody else's pump and dump scheme. So you're concerned that screenless technology could lead us into a uh, don't-look-up position? Yeah, so if you don't know, Richard is referencing the recent movie Don't Look Up, where our planet is about to be destroyed by a comet. Uh, the world's politicians don't want to deal with it, so they just tell people, don't look up, effectively telling them to disbelieve the evidence of their eyes. Mm. That's why I'm saying that the way that we execute uh, screenless technology is so important. We can't afford for it to reinforce those echo chambers that we're already seeing across the internet. And, you know, one of the most trusted sources of disinformation tends to be people we know. We yeah. trust the information they give us. We trust their judgment. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're talking about building that same level of trust with machines that speak to us, you know, multiple times a day. Interesting. Okay, let's take a short break. Uh, and when we come back, how screenless technologies and natural language processing are progressing. We'll be right back here on Matt Splained on BFM 89.9. Breathe freely, Malaysians. BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Matsplained. We're talking about a world of chatbots on Matsplained today, how the implementation of screenless technology could shape our world. Matt, I guess that most people don't really see their digital assistants as chatbots. No, and this is one of the things that we have to change, I think, uh, especially as we tend to have this overly negative opinion of chatbots. For starters, uh, we generally interact with them, or we think we interact with them, only usually in some kind of text form. Mm. And those interactions usually happen when we have a problem to solve or an issue to raise. So it's already, you know, this kind of semi-negative environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas we think of those voice-activated chatbots as our assistants, we think of them as being a lot more fun. Um, yeah. Again, you know, going back to that example of the young girl asking her speaker for a challenge, she and her mum were playing games. That was what they were asking the speaker to help with, to help them to find a game to play. Mm -hmm. 
And perhaps, you know, because we have this positive opinion of them, we don't want to think of them as being chatbots. But we do have to start shifting those opinions, not in the sense of becoming, you know, deliberately negative towards the machines that we have voice interactions with, but in the sense of accepting that these are bots that we're talking to and, you know, that we will be talking to these things multiple times a day. So we have to be careful how we frame the information we get back from them. And the assumption that accompanies that, that as the technology improves, the more we'll talk to them and the more natural those conversations will become. Yeah, what we're really talking about here, at least the part that I want to concentrate on, is the future of search. Uh, that, that point at which we replace Googling with chatting. So mm. we've already spoken about text-based chatbots that are so good that you can't tell if it's a human operator or a piece of code. And admittedly, a lot of those current systems are, of course, hybrids. Your chatbot passes you to a human operator once the questions get too hard or require more nuance. Mm. Now, this example is from MIT Tech Review. The piece is called uh, Chatbots Could One Day Replace Search Engines. It's by a writer called Will Douglas Heaven which is an amazing name. Um, the <laughs> piece uses the example of uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai uh, talking to one of the company's machine intelligence systems. It's called Lambda. That stands for Language Model uh, for Dialogue Application. It's a natural language chatbot. It's officially termed as an open-ended conversational AI, uh, which is currently under development. This is the one that uh, Google showed off at last year's uh, I.O. event. Yeah, so Pichai demoed it, and uh, it can do some really neat stuff. So in the demo, which you can find on YouTube, unsurprisingly, as Google owns YouTube, they tasked it with answering questions about the planet Pluto, or rather, I should say, Alphabet owns YouTube. I don't know. Anyway, um, the uh, the... Lambda, rather, can put itself in the role of the planet. So you say, you know, what's it like on Pluto? And Lambda can respond to you in the first person. So it will say, you know, I am not a gas giant, et cetera, et cetera. And <laughs> it isn't only limited to facts. You know, it can imagine and it can conjecture to a point. Another part of the demo sees it being tasked with imagining what it would be like to be a paper aeroplane. Now, that's not a sentence that you often have to say. So we've got a little clip of Lambda explaining what it's like to be a paper aeroplane. What's it like being thrown through the air? It's quite the experience, actually. The wind blowing against you and the trees flying past are quite the sight. You never know where you'll land either. What's the worst place you've ever landed? That would have to be in a puddle. I was just barely still intact, so I was stuck there for a few minutes. It was quite annoying. Oh, that sounds awful. Were you able to fly again? Thankfully, I was. I had a few minor injuries to my wing, but you can't really tell unless you know what to look for. So what do you think? I mean, do you see the potential of something like that? Uh, do, you, do you think it's gimmicky? I mean, what's your take? I mean, I, mean I, I think the way in which you said, I am not a gas giant, kind of sums it up for me a little bit. Um, you know, it sounded somewhat robotic, um, but yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, the, the, the sound of it is something that will change over time as it becomes uh, more natural. But I do think it's a little bit gimmicky, yeah, because I mean, 
How would you know what a gas giant has to say? That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I, know, I know none of it makes or, any sense. Or it's like, or, you know, I am a paper airplane. Exactly. Yeah, what, what's or, or, it like to get wet? Right, what's my lamp thinking right now? Please tell me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what your lamp's thinking because it can see you. <laughs> but, um, but it, 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 you know, it is pretty cute. So one of the things that Pichai did was to ask it to tell him, you know, give him some information about the Grand Canyon. And it mm. added a little note at the end of the conversation about, you know, telling him to bring a coat with him because it can get cold. Mm. And this is something that a friend would do. And I think when it comes to search, especially uh, this, I see, yeah. yeah, this is where we get into that possible danger zone because it's that blurring of roles. You know, Think about the number of times a day you search for information. Um, it might be through Google. It might be using the search bar in another app or site. I actually tried to estimate the number of times that I search in a day. And honestly, I couldn't because half the stuff I do online starts with a search of some kind, you know, whether it's in IMDb, whether it's on Google, no, yeah. matter, no matter what actually became physically impossible for me to even guess at the number of searches I do a day. Now, isn't that an argument then for language processing? Uh, wouldn't it save you a huge amount of time? Well, sure. But, you know, one of the reasons that radio shows like this are set up as conversations is because it's very hard for most of us to get through lengthy monologues. Mm. I could just do this show as an uninterrupted rant with no questions, no ad breaks, you know, just 30 minutes of me with no grammar. Um, you, you know, you have to be really invested in a topic to get through something like that. Uh, yeah. You have to be really invested in a topic to get through this. Um, yeah. And, you know, you have that same issue with spoken search results. Um, I mean, just the, the word cats, obviously, that's what I'm going to use. There are just short of 4 billion search results for the word cats. Mm. But realistically, very few of us get past the first page or maybe second page, if we're feeling really adventurous, of those search results. Uh, according to Google itself, almost 25% of users click on the first organic search result. And I know that because I Googled it. <laughs> right. So you're essentially saying that we should be afraid of, of language-based search because we're lazy? Well, I mean, it's kind of an oversimplification, but yeah, that is part of it. Um, wow. You know, um, with a question like, what time is it? Well, you know, it's whatever time you're listening to this podcast at. Mm. It's easy. What's the weather like? Again, easy. What is dark matter and why can't we find it? That's not something that you can fit into, you know, a pithy, condensed 10, 20, or 30 second response. Right. Isn't that where your model takes you into screens and other devices? For sure. You know, I'm starting with uh, things that are factual because it's easier to, to make the point around them. But a lot of the things we look for have opinions or conclusions attached to them. Right. Uh, a good example is, are coronavirus vaccines safe? Now, despite the overpowering evidence to the contrary, there are millions of people who don't believe they're safe. Mm. And there are plenty of so-called news and information sources that help to reinforce those beliefs. Mm. So there's the danger of search turning into this trusted friend who 
also happens to be a chatbot. Mm -hmm. The question is, can we trust that friend? What are the sources of the information that your trusted friend is telling you? As Sundar Pichai pointed out at uh, the IO conference, Lambda frequently goes off the rails and takes the conversation off into weird or nonsensical places uh, because, you know, it's not tracking. Mm. And this is why the company has no plans to use it in any of its products anytime soon. So in a way, your objection is a presentational one. Partly, um, but we forget how important presentation is because even when Lambda mm. is wrong, the information will still be delivered in that same authoritative and calm way. In the right. same way, I can tell you, yes, you don't need oxygen to live on the moon. You know, we have to be incredibly sure that the source information is correct before we can make that leap. And mm. we all find ourselves in those reinforcement loops. It's easier to get out of them in some places than it is to get out of them in others. Mm. In my own case, you know, I can see when something like YouTube is serving me up too much content that's, you know, kind of the same. So mm. I can react, I can retune the algorithm by searching for other types of content and watching different things. Netflix, on the other hand, is determined to force feed me, is it cake? Oh. No matter what I watch. Yes. Horror movie, <laughs> is it cake? Zombies, is it cake? Adam Sandler, is it cake? I've realized that I might be oversharing my watch list. <laughs> no, mine is exactly the same right now. Um, but this effectively brings us back to the profit incentive of search. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's Google or Amazon or, or whatever company that's behind it. A company serving you these voice services will have a profit incentive. Mm -hmm. If we go back to that, that statistic from Google that 25% of users click the first organic result, well, Google makes its money from all of those non-organic sponsored results that you see before you get to that first organic result. Yeah. So how does voice search and the maximization of profits go hand in hand? Mm -hmm. Does your trusted friend tell you that one COVID vaccine is safer and more reliable than the other brands because it's been paid to do so? And what about the issue of comprehension? Well, you know, there are always issues of comprehension on this show, but um, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, when you ask your speaker to tell you the time and it replies, you forget that it doesn't actually understand what it is that it's telling you. And right. that's yeah. one of the reasons that models like Lambda go off the rails and off tangent, because they don't actually understand what it is they're talking to you about. They've synthesized the speech patterns. They've passed the information. You know, they can mimic speech really well, but there isn't any awareness. There's no understanding that goes with those words. Mm. Uh, you get the results like the one we mentioned before the break, the speaker challenging a young girl to potentially electrocute herself. And it's doubly a problem when there are gaps or mistakes in the data that these natural language processors pull from. Mm. Uh, there was the well-publicized case last year with Google that when the uh, search engine was asked, what's the ugliest language in India? It replied, the answer is Canada, a language spoken by around 40 million people in South India. Yeah. Um, is that a weakness with natural language models uh, specifically or with search in general, though? 
Well, of course, that's one of the points that uh, is made in that uh, MIT Technology Review article that I mentioned. If we are moving towards this natural language world, and we are, I mean, let's not mm. be in doubt, screens are an impediment, speech is our default setting, yeah. then perhaps it's the way that search is listed, categorized, and framed that we have to rethink in order to make those results more suited to this environment of speech. All right, Smarty Pants, how would that work? Well, I mean, firstly, uh, because I have all of the technical knowledge, um, <laughs> by, by accepting that uh, complex questions don't have simple answers. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that many questions don't have definitive answers either. So uh, Chirag Shah, uh, an expert on search technologies at the University of Washington, and his colleague Emily Bender, she specializes in computational linguistics and ethical issues that uh, surround natural language processing. Uh, and incidentally, they were the ones who discovered that uh, ugliest Indian language result on Google. Uh, they, they suggest that in many cases, referring a user to a list of documents is actually the better alternative. But, but in the real world, who has time for that? Well, I agree. I mean, it would make putting this show together an awful lot slower. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't simply go to Google for the past notes versions to explain how things work uh -huh. with all my knowledge. Um, uh -huh. But that would also serve for, as the prompt that you need to look further than, you know, a, a machine written response and head to a screen. Uh, head to mm. a screen. Another tweak, um, again, instead of attempting to sound definitive, the trusted friend could point out that there are a number of different or conflicting issues that um, surround that particular topic or search query. Do you think any of these is likely to be implemented? Well, that's going to be really hard to say. I mean, as we were talking about earlier, most of the companies involved in the sector are for-profit organizations. They're public-listed right. companies with mm. shareholders. There's a board to please. Therefore, mm. they're incentivized to make the systems as attractive and accessible as possible. Mm -hmm. Concise summaries are what a lot of people want, like the people who switched off halfway through this show and won't mm. hear me berating them for their laziness and their short attention span. You know, I, I think the best advice is to be cautious of what that trusted friend tells you. Uh, but equally, you know, we have to be careful how we frame questions. And we have to be more objective in the way that we approach the answers that we've given. Because the machine may one day become your trusted friend, but that doesn't mean that it's an expert, unlike me. Uh, do you know what? I was just going to say that, Matthew. <laughs> now, um, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt or subscribe to the Culture Pop newsletter on Substack for more information about these shows. And if you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast. It's available on the, uh, app, uh, the BFM app, which is available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. We'll be back same time, same place next week for Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.